Hi, everyone. Welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo. I'm the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I invite you to check out over 4,000 of my written reviews anytime at Quipster.net. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. So we just had three straight fantasy films in a row, and we're going to get away from the more traditional fantasy genre elements to incorporate films in the 1980s that have a fantasy element to them, but they're really set in the modern day, specifically relating to an imaginary girlfriend or a girlfriend that has some sort of ultra-human abilities. There are actually quite a number of ways I could go with the three movies I'm going to be reviewing in the next three episodes, but suffice it to say, we will cover all of the movies at some point or another. The first of those three movies I'm going to be covering is a musical that came out in 1980 called Xanadu. Xanadu is infamous for a lot of different things, some of which I'll cover during the review that you're about to hear. As I alluded to in my previous episode, Xanadu is also one of those films that I think ranks in my top five most watched films in my life. So that should probably give you an indication as to where I'm going to go with this review. But it's also something I'm very much looking forward to sharing with all of you. This film is probably the one I get the most smack talk from my friends who seem to find great enjoyment in knowing that it is in my movie collection. It's a fantasy musical, as I mentioned. It is a PG-rated film. It does have some mild language, and it runs an hour and 33 minutes. The main star of this film is, well, actually, Michael Beck probably gets the most screen time, and he's technically the star, but Olivia Newton-John is the one that they marketed the film toward. Gene Kelly also is in this film and is a very sizable supporting role. James Sloyan, Demetra Arliss, Katie Hanley, Fred McCarran, Sandal Bergman, yes, the one from Conan the Barbarian, and a whole bunch of other appearances are in this film. Robert Greenwald is the director. The screenplay is credited to Richard Christian Dennis and Mark Reed Rubel. Out of all of the reviews that you'll find on Quipster.net or within the course of this film podcast around the world in 80s movies, I would say that Xanadu is perhaps the film I do feel the most guilty for enjoying. Now, it would be easy for me to slam the movie as a terrible film. So many others have done that. Nobody would probably question it. However, I have to take the road less traveled as a movie reviewer here because, in truth, Xanadu is also one of those films that, despite all of the naysayers and all of the evidence of a bad movie that is against it, it still manages to work its magic on me. Now, as far as the reasons why... I don't know. I mean, they still elude me to this day. I've never really been a huge fan of Olivia Newton-John. I don't own any of her albums. I don't really own any of her other movies except Grease. So I don't know that I'm a big fan of her as a singer or an actress. I, I don't personally like to roller skate. And I'm not necessarily particularly fond of revisiting musicals. And in case you're wondering, I'm also an adult, of course, a heterosexual man. I'm not really in the demographic that's generally thought of when examining those who might typically like this film. And yet every time I watch Xanadu, I never fail to be thoroughly captivated and entertained by it. And I say that with a smile on my face and without a lot of explanation. But I will try to try to convey exactly why I am kind of exuberant on this film. But before that, I'll go into a little bit more context as far as what the movie's about. Now, Xanadu is the first directorial effort from a man named Robert Greenwald. It's a very ambitious one at that, and it's very ambitious for a first-time feature film from anyone, 
there's an incredible number of moving parts to the production. You have hundreds of extras that are in this movie. You got a lot of music to have to incorporate into the body of the work. There are choreographed dance numbers within the film. Being toward the beginning of the MTV era, there's a lot of music video style editing that's supposed to be incorporated into this film. There's a lot of uh, neon-tinged special effects work that is developed into this, mats and matte paintings and all kinds of interesting visual components. There's even an animated sequence from famed Disney defector Don Bluth. This is his first non-Disney work for a feature film, and if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know that I covered the first three films from Don Bluth's own studio in some early episodes. I do encourage you to check that out. Although now that I think of it, I think Don Blue's involvement does kind of fit in somewhat to the themes of this movie because the movie really deals with an artist who is unhappy with the corporate world and is encouraged to pursue his own passions. So it's really apropos for Don Bluth to make this his big screen debut. Although for Robert Greenwald, this is not really considered a debut that's worth bragging about at the time among film critics. But uh, the sheer chances that Greenwald does take on multiple levels, I do think is nonetheless very impressive for someone who's just making his debut. I really do think he intended and to some degree succeeded in making this ethereal, escapist, eye candy explosion. If you're ready to receive that kind of movie, it works really well. And I think a large part of that is due to Greenwald's direction. So now, interestingly, Robert Greenwald would build upon the benign anti-corporate stance message of this film, doing like the main character in this film and also Don Bluth doing it for himself instead of doing it for some sort of soulless company. He would make anti-corporate documentaries like Outfoxed. Rupert Murdoch's War on Journalism, as well as Walmart, The High Cost of Low Price, he formed Brave New Pictures later in his career and would make a lot of very left-leaning documentaries. Now, with an in-movie nod to the title's origin, which comes from a poem by Samuel Taylor Coleridge during an opium-fueled evening called Kublai Khan, Xanadu's storyline involves the Nine Muses of Ancient Greece which happened to come to life when this struggling commercial artist played by Michael Beck, he rips up one of his personal works. And as it is their duty as muses to inspire, one of the nine, calling herself Kira, mesmerizes the young artist and then ends up inspiring him to join forces with a wealthy entrepreneur with whom the muse may have also inspired 40 years before. And they end up starting their own disco club called Xanadu, as is her mission to help happen. But she wasn't supposed to fall in love, and now she's in jeopardy of displeasing her father, Zeus, and unraveling all that they've ever tried to do, I suppose. Although it's not really explained why Kira would speak with an Aussie accent as compared to her parents, Zeus and Hera, which are heard in this movie, or really anyone else in this film. Newton John, I think, is continuing to be a revelation in her song and dance routines. She builds upon the splash that she made in her prior role as Sandy in Greece. She's noticeably less confident on roller skates, true, which she mostly learned to do for the film. Not always well. She ended up painfully fracturing her coccyx after falling during the suddenly sequence, uh, which takes place across an obstacle-filled soundstage that's performed to Newton-John's song that she did in a duet with British pop singer Cliff Richard. And that really hampered her confidence in her ability to do any skating after that in the, in the filming of the film. Although many, as far as the other people in the film, many Gene Kelly fans have been saddened that Xanadu would be the last musical 
and the one he would go out on. But I do think his performance in this film is still objectively impressive. And at nearly 70 years old, he still had the chops to tap dance, to sing. He even roller skates and does it quite well, better than Olivia Newton-John or Michael Beck. And they're less than half his age. So as a bonus to us, Gene Kelly, who really took this film because it was close to home and so he could be with his family. But he also only took the project on the condition that he doesn't have to dance. Obviously, he opened up to that idea as the production was underway. He even went further to not only do a song and dance number, he ended up choreographing the big tap dance number that he does with Olivia Newton-John to the big band sounds of the song Whenever You're Away From Me. Olivia Newton-John, while somewhat chagrined that the film didn't fare as well as she'd hoped, not only at the box office but among critics, is nevertheless pleased that the music has always stayed solid and regularly performs that during her concerts, to which audiences seem to really enjoy it. She also enjoyed the chance to work with legend and idol Jim Kelly, who played the older Danny McGuire. And interestingly, during the production, she would meet and become romantically involved with the actor and dancer who would briefly portray in a flashback the younger version of Danny McGuire, a man named Matt Latanzi, who would become... Olivia Newton-John's first husband a few years later, and with whom she would have her only child, Chloe. As far as the music goes, of course, you can't talk about Xanadu without the music. The double platinum selling soundtrack of the film fared a lot better than the movie did back in 1980. Producer John Farrar's song Magic, which was sung by Olivia Newton-John, it managed to top the pop charts in the United States for the four weeks that led up to the film's release into theaters on August 8th of 1980. That song would end up going on to become the third most popular song of the entire year of 1980. Jeff Lynne and ELO, Electric Light Orchestra, also deliver some very catchy, memorable songs to the film's soundtrack that mesh very well with the overall vibe of Xanadu, if not becoming the driving force in several scenes. In all, five top 20 hits resulted from the soundtrack to Xanadu, in addition to Magic, and suddenly there was the title track of Xanadu, which was the biggest of the singles in countries outside of North America, and then there was also ELO's I'm Alive and All Over the World. But getting back to the film itself, in my humble opinion, Xanadu is quite possibly one of the most underrated and overly maligned films to stem from the disco era. It was one of the two films that were watched by John J.B. Wilson that inspired him to create the Golden Raspberry Awards, a.k.a. the Razzies, which is this annual awards show of the worst films and performances in cinema. The other film that Wilson saw in a double feature that inspired him to make the Razzies was another cheesy musical called Can't Stop the Music that came out the same year. That would actually beat Xanadu, to take the Razzie for Worst Picture of 1980. And coincidentally, Can't Stop the Music had been a film that was offered initially to Olivia Newton-John. Her role eventually would go to Valerie Perrine. Now, critics at the time had little caring for disco and pop, Olivia Newton-John, roller skates, or ELO, or many of the things that were already growing kind of outdated in the public eye at the time of its release. So it's kind of no wonder that the film was destined to be a critical DOA. But nevertheless, it has gained a following over the years as we've kind of gotten removed from our more malignant attitudes toward the era. As far as the storyline goes, this is kind of a, a remake of a sort. It's a barely recognizable remake of this film that came out in the 1940s, a film called Down to Earth. It starred Rita Hayworth. It's a film I've actually reviewed on my website, if, if you actually care to go back and read that. Unlike that film, this one kind of rattled critics' cages a bit, but I think for those 
viewers out there who are listening to me right now who are not looking for singing in the rain caliber music or acting, you might be surprised about how well done some of the music pieces are and how audacious the creators of this film are to try to pull out all the stops and to try their hardest to knock the socks off of any and all viewers in a very visual sense. In fact, just the end sequence alone would take nearly a month to complete. And that brought together over 200 skilled roller skaters and dancers and jugglers and acrobats and street performers. It's really an all-out extravaganza meant to finish the film with a bang. And I think that if you're hooked into this film by the end, you're actually going to feel fairly exhilarated. At least I tend to at the end of this film. If, if it hasn't hooked you at all, you're probably just watching and probably enjoying the film still on an entirely different level. And admittedly, the film does suffer from weak leading man in Michael Beck. He's very wooden. He has the looks, not much of the acting ability required for that role. There's a shoddy script that never really rises above the level of workable. Reportedly, the script was not completed as they began to roll film, and what was there had been persistently revised on a day-to-day basis, and hence the script is definitely the biggest weakness of the film. However, I do think that the real draw for Xanadu as a movie comes from the fantastic musical set pieces. You got Gene Kelly, still amazing after all these years in his final musical. I realize that this film is really corny and a bit trite, and it plays more like a 90-minute Mentos commercial than a motion picture, but the film is just plain fun. It's very pleasant. It's gutsy in the chances that it takes, and if you're on the right wavelength, If you're in tune with what this movie is trying to deliver on a very fundamental level, I think that it will fill you with a sense of inspiration and magic, at least for its runtime as well. It has a catchiness and an infectious quality that very few films have really been able to deliver for me. And I think that the cult following that it has garnered over the years is testament to that and would end up resulting in a very kitschy Tony Award winning Broadway musical that is based on this film that came out in 2007 and ran for many performances until 2008. And in fact, uh, Robert Greenwald took his son to go see this film, and reportedly the son turned to him and said, no offense, but I thought that the Broadway musical was better than the film. The campy qualities certainly are there, but I do think that it works in its favor for those who are willing to open themselves up to even that. It really does have that cult following among lovers of cheesy musicals, who watch and love this film, both ironically and unironically. I watch this film and I'm making fun of it the entire time, but also on another level, I'm really enjoying it to a large extent. I find that the things it does well, it does remarkably well. If you have even an ounce of the sappy romantic in you, I do wholeheartedly recommend trying Xanadu if you have not seen it. You used to have to wear shades and ask for the brown bag when you used to go into the video store and ask for it, but I think these days when you have streaming services and whatnot and video on demand, There's really no shame in clicking play and dancing along to the music in the comfort of your own abode. I won't say that I got up and danced necessarily. I'm a terrible dancer. Certainly no Gene Kelly, even a nearly 70-year-old Gene Kelly dances circles around me. But I have to say, I really love Xanadu. And, And as far as a grade goes, I'm going to give it... I can't quite give it four stars. That would be ridiculous of me to do so because this is not a film I can recommend to everybody. But if you're listening to this and you're smiling because it's a film that you remember, or maybe you have a fondness for campy, kitschy movies, especially musicals, of, and especially, obviously, you love films of the 1980s, I highly recommend you either give it a try or give it a rewatch. And even if you laugh at it, you're going to have a good time with it for the 90-plus minutes that it's on. I ended up exposing my wife and my daughter to this film. It was their first time watch for them, and they really enjoyed it. 
on many levels as well. And I, like I said, it's my biggest guilty pleasure. And I know a lot of critics don't like to use the word guilty pleasure anymore, but this really does qualify. I really do feel a lot of guilt for enjoying the movie as much as I do. So I'm going to give Xanadu three and a half stars out of four. I genuinely feel that Xanadu is, despite its flaws, despite wooden acting, and despite the script problems, is still a good movie for what it is trying to deliver. And three and a half stars means that I do think that if this sounds of appeal to you, based on what you've just heard me talk about, I highly encourage you to see it. I kind of have a sense of the people that might enjoy this film, and many of those people that I've given this film to have turned into fans. So why not you who are listening out there? And if you have your own takes as far as Xanadu goes, if you hate this movie with a passion and you think that I'm absolutely crazy for recommending this film to anyone, you can still write to me and let me know why you hate this movie so much. Or you can tell me how much you love this movie and you appreciate that I had some kind words to say about it as well. You can find my contact information at my website, quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. As far as what next week's podcast is going to be about, because I know that some of you have told me that you like to watch the movies before I get to my reviews, I'm going to continue on with the love story between a man who finds an imaginary girlfriend in the 1980s with a movie that seems like a very natural follow-up. Another artist who gets inspired by a mythical woman in 1987's Mannequin. Yes, Mannequin, a film I have not seen in about 30 years. So I have a feeling that my wife and daughter are going to enjoy that film a little bit more than me in my revisiting of that film. But I am really looking forward to seeing that one yet again from a nostalgia standpoint. So Mannequin is the film I'm going to be reviewing for next week. So do your homework. I'll be back next week with that. Don't forget, I also do a film review podcast covering new films called the Quipster Film Review Podcast. You look for it wherever you're listening to this now. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R is how to spell that. And until next time, thank you everyone for joining me on this journey around the world in 80s movies.